Archiver is made possible with a grant from Humanities Kansas. I, have a, I just have a brief statement. I want to indicate first that I, I don't, I'm not, I don't think you use this gallery for political purposes, but since uh, some of the allegations, uh, false allegations, uh, with reference to my senatorial capacity, I think, I think it's appropriate. We begin this episode on February 4, 1988, in the Senate Press Gallery. And while Bob Dole sounds businesslike, as the news conference begins, he's seething after confronting Vice President George H.W. Bush on the Senate floor. The two Republican titans are running for the GOP presidential nomination to succeed Ronald Reagan. We're still a week away from the Iowa caucuses, and the campaign already resembles a steel cage match. And before his 18 minutes with Capitol reporters ends, Dole will accuse Bush of low-down politics and groveling in the mud. And I must say, I'm, I appear here more in sorrow than anger to think that the campaign has gotten down to this level. The podcast is Archiver, The Man from Russell, Episode 8, The Runs for the White House, Me. I'm your host, Sam Zeff. After the news conference, Dole returned to the Senate floor for a second go at Bush. Dole confronts Bush over vindictive attacks, the headline in the morning Kansas City Times read the next day. This was all over allegations that Dole had greased the wheels with the Small Business Administration so a former aide could land a $30 million no-bid federal contract. Dole denied it, saying he only helped set up meetings for a Kansas constituent with a federal agency. Still, it's the kind of thing national political reporters seize upon while covering presidential candidates bouncing from coffee clatch to Main Street diners during those brutal Iowa winters. Dole won Iowa, with preacher Pat Robertson finishing a surprising second and Bush third. Bush roared back a week later in New Hampshire, winning the primary by running ads calling Dole a tax raiser. That night, they both appeared live with Tom Brokaw of NBC News. Mr. Vice President, if you look right down at that monitor, you'll see the man that you beat tonight. That's uh, Senator Bob Dole, who is standing by in his headquarters. Anything you'd like to say to him at this point? No, just wish him well and meet him in the South. And Senator Dole, is there anything you'd like to say to the Vice President? Yeah, stop lying about my record. After Dole snarled that into the camera, he was done. Bush swept through the South and won the nomination. Writer and filmmaker Mark Zwanitzer, who researched the book What It Takes, remembers interviewing Dole about that campaign with author Richard Ben Kramer. Zwanitzer has quite a revealing take on New Hampshire in 88. Had he won in New Hampshire, he probably had a very good shot at winning the nomination in 1988. And we asked him about that, and he was describing that week in New Hampshire. And every time he would, every time he would turn on the TV, there would be George Bush out running heavy machinery or tossing a football or running around somewhere. And I remember Dole saying it was, he said, you know, it was the only time in my life I ever thought, um, oh, I wish I'd been whole. And that was to me, I don't, I, you know, because he went so out of his, out of his way to make sure nobody sort of saw his disability or thought about it. And I don't think he ever really, you know, I think he pushed it aside and never thought about it. 
So that moment has always stuck with, stuck with me as a, uh, like, wow. He had so much to overcome, but nobody recognized that. That's, that's what I took away from that comment. And it was, a, it was so striking and so surprising and so um, sort of out of character and something he would never admit to himself in general. But yeah, that, uh, that, that was a moment. That was a thing I always think about when I think about him. So Dole goes back to the Senate. In 1990, he once again had a decision to make on civil rights. He voted against a civil rights bill, saying it did nothing but impose hiring quotas on American employers. Ten Republicans joined all Senate Democrats to pass the bill. Dole was joined by his Kansas colleague, Nancy Kassebaum, in opposition. The legislation was vetoed by President Bush and an override failed. Dole was again easily reelected in 1992, beating Gloria O'Dell, whose campaign motto was Gloria versus Goliath. Dole won with 63% of the vote. Also elected that year, Bill Clinton is president. The national media dubbed Dole Dr. Gridlock and Dr. No. All of this would set up the final campaign for the man from Russell. It's August 15, 1996, in San Diego, California, and Bob Dole was accepting the Republican nomination for president. He dreamed and strived for this moment since he entered politics in 1950, when he was elected to the Kansas legislature. Dole was in a jam-packed San Diego Convention Center with the whole world watching. Sure, he hit on your regular and perpetual Republican themes, taxes. And you know how it works. From the 1st of January and the May, just to pay your taxes so that the party of government can satisfy its priorities with the sweat of your brow. Because they think that what you would do with your own money would be morally and practically less admirable than what they would do with it. And immigration. The right and obligation of a sovereign nation to control its borders is beyond debate. We should not have here a single illegal immigrant. But finally, Dole's dream had come true. Ladies and gentlemen, delegates to the convention and fellow citizens, I cannot say it more clearly than in plain speaking. I accept your nomination to lead our party once again to the presidency of the United States. Dole was a long, long way from the bobolink singing on the streets of Russell in homemade skirts handing out Dole pineapple juice. But Russell was the cornerstone of his speech. And who am I that stands before you tonight? I was born in Russell, Kansas, a small town in the middle of the prairie, surrounded by wheat and oil wells. 
As my neighbors and friends from Russell tonight sit in the front of this hall know well, Russell, though not west, looks out upon the west. And like most small towns on the plains, it is a place where no one grows up without an intimate knowledge of distance. And the first thing you learn on the prairie is the relative size of a man compared to the lay of the land. And under the immense sky where I was born and raised, a man is very small. And if he thinks otherwise, he is wrong. I come from good people, very good people, and I'm proud of it. My father's name was Dora, my mother's name was Bina. I love them, and there's no moment when my memory of them and my love for them does not overshadow anything I do. Even this, even here. And there is no height to which I have risen that is high enough to allow me to forget them, to allow me to forget where I came from and where I stand and how I stand with my feet on the ground, just a man at the mercy of God. It was probably the speech of his life. I talked about this with archiver historian Virgil Dean. You know, his uh, acceptance speech uh, in 96, where he talks about the Plains, uh, how being in western Kansas can make a man feel small because you can see from Russell almost to the Rocky Mountains if you look hard enough and squint. Uh, if the sky's clear. And the sky's clear. <laughs> But it felt so uh, genuine to me. And I'm, he's not a great speaker. But I think when, he, uh, when I hear that part of his acceptance speech, it feels so genuine and, and real to me. Mm-hmm. He, uh, he always sounds genuine when he's talking about his love of, of Russell and people and, of Russell. Yep. And I, I can't help but think he's, he's honestly expressing his, his feelings. Uh, Russell was extremely good to Bob Dole. I mean, so I think he probably thinks of all of Kansas, perhaps, or at least western Kansas, like he thinks of Russell. I mean, those were the people he became close to. Those were the people that he credits with helping him recover uh, and get back on his feet, literally, and to uh, then go on and make a successful life. And so I think it's probably that kind of thing as much as the prairie and the, the feeling of what you get from that part of the country. I have no reason to think it wasn't genuine. The reality of the 1996 campaign was Bob Dole couldn't rely on Russell, his record, or in some ways his platform, including a 15% across-the-board income tax cut. He had to attack Bill Clinton if he had any chance of winning. Bill Clinton never took the drug crisis seriously. If you had to do over again, would you inhale? Sure, if I could. I tried before. You know the result. Under Clinton's liberal policies, teen drug use has doubled. But now Clinton admits he was wrong. I wish I'd never done any of that, uh, although I did such a little bit, but it was wrong. For the thousands of young Americans who became hooked on drugs under Clinton, his apology is too little, too late. America deserves better. Clinton should have been vulnerable. He lost the House and Senate two years earlier, the first time the GOP controlled the House since 1952. And it was hard to keep track of the Clinton scandals. But inflation was under 3 percent, unemployment was at 5 percent, 
and the Cold War looked gone for good with the re-election of Boris Yeltsin in Russia. A CNN poll around Labor Day had Clinton with 55 percent, Dole with 32 percent, and Ross Perot running as the Reform Party nominee with 6 percent. Dole said Clinton was part of the spoiled baby boomer generation. Despite Dole being amongst the hardest workers in Congress, a man who could outwork almost anyone on his staff, Dole's 72 years just looked old up against Clinton's 50 years. Dole did cut into Clinton's lead, but just barely. On November 5, 1996, Bill Clinton was reelected with 49% of the vote to Dole's 41% and Perot's 8%. As he conceded the election just after 10 o'clock Central Time, Dole started with something people rarely heard on the campaign trail, a joke. Uh, I was just thinking on the way downstairs. I I was thinking on the way down the elevator. Tomorrow will be the first time in my life I don't have anything to do. Dole told a packed hotel ballroom in Washington that the night wasn't a total loss. The Republicans would retain control of Congress. The room went wild. Thank you very much. Let me say that I've I've talked to President Clinton. We had a good visit, and I congratulated him. And I've said, I've said repeatedly. I've said repeatedly in this. I've said repeatedly in this campaign that the president is my opponent, not my enemy, and I wish him well and I pledge my support in whatever advances the cause of a better America. Is that what the race was about in the first place? A better America as we go into the next century. Hard to imagine today that's how most campaigns used to end, a nod to the service and patriotism of your opponent. The New York Times called Dole's campaign one of the most ineffectual in recent memory. In its story the next morning, the Times said this, Always the legislative tactician, Mr. Dole, according to his close associates, approached the presidential rates much as he did a congressional negotiating session, believing that the key to victory was a clever endgame strategy. But so bleak were the polls and for so long that Mr. Dole was forced to realize far earlier than most losing candidates that the endgame would probably not be enough. How bad was the loss? Dole even lost four counties in Kansas. I talked to Kansas State Senator David Haley, one of the few African Americans in the state legislature, whose father worked for Dole, about the election and crossing party lines to support a Republican. How'd that set with your uh, fellow Democrats? Well, you know, even to this day, I couldn't care less how many of the Democrats felt that I was somehow traitorous by supporting um, Kansas's favorite son, one who had lifted us uh, as a state to national acclaim, and what it would mean to have um, a Kansan, again, not since Eisenhower, in the White House. The short-sightedness of partisanship among a man of moderation, men of moderation, men and women of moderation, who look for values-driven solutions over partisanship uh, to move the needle forward was something that I stole as a Republican, which I used to be, and which I uh, continue to support as a Democrat. 
So the fact that I had some Democratic colleagues who always questioned whether or not I had truly transferred uh, my allegiances to the new party because I was supporting this Republican over Clinton, um, were, um, uh, I was at the announcement in Russell when uh, he announced, when Senator Dole announced he was running for president, and I was a staunch supporter then uh, of his candidacy and was a part of Democrats for Dole during that time. So on November 6, 1996, as Dole said, he had nothing to do. Well, not really. And so, after 35 years, I returned to Russell, Kansas, to my friends and my family, to that very special place where they always called me by my first name. Great lunch. Barb, take a check. Of course, Bob. Can I see some ID? Driver's license? Considered the Visa check card? It automatically deducts from your checking account everywhere Visa's accepted. No ID needed. It works like a check, only better. I, I just can't win. Bob Dole's life after politics and the complicated legacy of the man from Russell. That's on our last episode. Archiver is produced by Virgil Dean and Scott Richardson in the studios of KCUR 89.3 in Kansas City. Archiver is made possible with a grant from Humanities Kansas and is a production of Do Good Productions, where Gene Johnson is executive producer. Thanks to the staff at the Dole Institute at the University of Kansas. I'm Sam Zeff, and I'll see you on the next Archiver. <laughs>